Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, once again, I want to start out by thanking those kind souls who either bought a copy of one of my books or who made a direct donation to the salon. Your support is greatly appreciated, and uh, hopefully I've already sent you a thank you note by email. However, uh, I still haven't gotten those two snail mail thank yous out uh, yet. Uh, I promised a week or so ago, but uh, that should happen this week. Uh, However, I just want all of you to know how much I appreciate your support. Well, here we are, uh, back together again in the salon, and already last weekend's workshop at the Esalen Institute seems like a dream, uh, but a very pleasant dream, of course. It was a really interesting weekend, and uh, I'm still seeing all the faces of the people who were there and the new friendships I made, the old ones that we reestablished. It was really great. And uh, in the weeks ahead, I'll be podcasting several hours of the uh, conversations from that event for uh, all of us here in the salon. And uh, we'll eventually get the video of it uh, posted online as well, and I'll keep you informed about that. But in case you uh, haven't already seen the posting on my Facebook page, I came home with over 150 cassette tape recordings of workshops that Terrence McKenna led at Esalen over the years. And while I'm sure that some of them uh, we have already heard here in the salon, from what I can tell just by reading the labels on the tapes, we've probably got over 100 new Terrence McKenna talks to listen to here in the salon over the next couple of years. So, if you are a big fan of his, uh, I think that you and I are going to have a lot of fun in the months ahead. And uh, what this means is that I'm no longer concerned about keeping the salon going with new and interesting material for a few more years. Now, uh, for today, I want to pick up where we left off with the good Dr. Timothy Leary holding forth in a very small group setting somewhere in Germany. And as near as I can tell, this uh, somewhat private salon was held sometime in 1983, which is the date you might want to keep in mind as you listen, because uh, some of the things he refers to will seem pretty old-fashioned now, I think. Uh, Anyhow, what I'm about to play is the second tape in this series, and I haven't cut anything out. This is uh, just where it picked up after the last one stopped, uh, the one that uh, I played last week. So uh, let's pick up where we left off in my previous podcast and uh, hear what was on Timothy Leary's mind, uh, oh, about 30 years ago. You can't change because you cannot recreate the force of the original, but the original uh, event of childhood and Oedipus and mother and father and so forth. Um, well, through our experiments with LSD, uh, in the early experiments, we found something that was very powerful and very frightening and very good. We found that during powerful drug experiences or any powerful life experience, like when a mother gives birth to a baby, oh yes, right, when a mother gives birth to a baby, as a reprogramming of her brain or reimprint. It has to be, because here's a twenty year old girl and she gets married, right? And she wants a hundred times wonderful time and suddenly she's pregnant and then suddenly there's a baby. Uh, 
keep the thing going, she has to be totally involved in that baby. That's a reprogramming of her reality. It's a repro reprogramming of her brain. A new circus come up, the mothering. So that uh, the, the uh, that period of giving birth to to a baby is a powerful, powerful uh, chemical experience. When the mother looks at the baby, and the baby begins to suck, doom, 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 all these circuits go out in the brain, and that's the most powerful brain change drug there is, like giving birth to a baby. However, <laughs> if the mother is not there, in some cases the baby is taken away from uh, the mother, uh, the baby, uh, um, um, the baby does not make that first imprint, and it's called childhood schizophrenia or autism, uh, or if the mother, many terrible things have happened, the mother is maybe very uh, pain or frightened, and the baby's born, and the first time she looks at the baby, and she thinks the baby's going to be like the uh, baby food ad, you know, like that. My baby! Beautiful, funny, twisted, like that. The first imprint is not that way. And there's a very uh, psychiatric uh, situation. Uh, it's called uh, uh, postpartum depression. Yeah. And that imprint is not made. Uh, and that's, it's, it's uh, very uh, complicated. So, the wonderful thing about the imprint and the way the brain is made by DNA is that people imprint all these different Chinese and German and Danish. Like, who ever speaks German? I'm saying Danish. Unless they perform it, right? Because Danish is very hard. I mean, Danish. You guys say it's true. Uh, the, um, this opening up of the, of the brain and the program is put in of German or Chinese or of the that woman with the red bloomers or, or uh, the baby or whatever. But we discovered during our last experiences that re-imprinting was taking place and that um, there are hundreds and hundreds of cases in the early LSD experience where some of them are very, very open and they go to the refrigerator and they'd open the door of the refrigerator and there's all that plastic food Hundreds of thousands of people became vegetarians on the spot. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure all of you have heard expressions like that. Uh, that's imprinting or reprogramming. And what that led us to discover is, and this is one of the most wonderful, optimistic discoveries that I've ever heard about, it is possible to reprint the human brain. Or, if your brain is a biocomputer, it's possible to reprogram the brain. Now, there are all sorts of laws about reprogramming or reimprinting. I read a, an imprint lasts about one week unless it's reinforced. So, if you say you imprint something very new, four, five, six days is kind of fade away. If you re-imprint something 
that's um, familiar, then it tends to reinforce. Now, this reimprinting can be very dangerous. There are many cases, particularly early in our research, when a husband and wife would take LSD together, and the wife would come up to the husband and smile. And the husband would see a shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> for several days, when you're trying to make love, <laughs> after five or six days, just about one week, <laughs> However, if the wife is uh, like a shark, <laughs> then uh, maybe they get divorced. <laughs> so the, the process of re-imprinting or reprogramming, and we all, uh, you weren't here yesterday when I talked about John Lilly, the concept of the brain as biocomputer, we owe to John Lilly, was a natural thing, but he was the first one who wrote the book on uh, metaprogramming and metaprogramming the human brain. I think it's one of the great classic uh, books in psychology. And uh, it, um, we're just at the beginning of uh, a new science of uh, reprogramming or re-imprinting your own brain. And it, it is true that if you want to do it, if you learn how to do it, it's possible to reprogram your brain and now, you know, if you have a, a, a microcomputer, you know, an Apple, you can go get the software, you get the sloppy disks, you know, and you pay $50 and you get a disk for bookkeeping or get a disk for, um, you know, a space armada, like that. Uh, you can make up your mind, really, and uh, reprogram your brain if you want to. Now, uh, I want to mention now, and then we'll have a break in two minutes, but I want to mention one more idea. A very important area of science now is demographics, or pop population genetics, population studies. And there are two aspects to this. Where you live is one of the most important things about you, because geography is destiny, and the ecological niche you inhabit really determines what species and what level of intelligence you live at. And also the year you were born, the generation you belong to. It's terrible, but the generation you belong to in a Western society, not in the old societies, because there are no generations, but I don't know, I don't know, the same thing. But uh, since World War II, in the Western societies, the generation you belong to is almost a different species. Like yesterday, I took a walk down into the village and I saw the people that were over the age of 50 uh, walking along and uh, they looked just the way they looked 40 years ago. They had umbrellas and they had raincoats and you know, what, what German man and woman of 50 look like, middle class, walking along like this. <laughs> And then I look at the German kids, see? And we're dealing with two different uh, species. So those born after 1946 in America, I'm not sure it's true here, 1946, after Hiroshima, television, multiple reality, those born after 1946 
uh, re they think very differently. Uh, and that's the generation which is the body intelligence generation that I've been talking about. But those born after 1965 are a different species. Uh, you know, when a hundred years ago, every boy, he was born to, you know, to, to um, take care of a horse very quickly. Then when, in the 1920s and 30s, the mechanical age, like every boy had a, a uh, was born with a wrench in his hand. And his father is saying, you know, what are you going to do with those pliers? Pull the horse's teeth? <laughs> no. And then, well, kids today in, in Germany and in America are born with that uh, computer thing and that, um, that is a new, a new level of, um, of intelligence and a new species. But it is possible. I can never be able to do computers as well as uh, someone born after 1965. On the other hand, I understand that, so I don't feel left out and I can at least try a little bit. <coughs> now, this is the first time probably in human history that little children can do things, complicated things, better than their grown-ups. That violates all the rules. In a, I told this story in a Hamburg. Um, you know the Rubik's Cube? The Rubik's Cube is invented in Hungary, right? The Rubik's but they became very popular in America. The biggest selling book in America last year, eight million copies of the book, much bigger than uh, any was the Hundred of the Rooks Cube. Eight million copies, that's the biggest of any book, bigger than the Bible either. And, uh, in Hungary, the Commissar of Education, uh, the government got very angry upset and said, we've got to stop the Rubik's Cube at home. The Soviet Union said, ah, the Rubik's Cube is another example of degenerate, decadent capitalism to take the young people's minds off the working class and the revolution. <laughs> In Hungary, the knows that this is terrible because the kids can do it better than the teachers. It's impossible. The children cannot do anything better than the teachers. <laughs> and it's true. I have some friends, you know, sons of the children of my friends. That's a wonderful time in history to be alive when young people are doing things better than grown-ups. Because that's the key sign that evolution is happening. Because evolution only happens with young people. So that now we have these three generations, the, uh, after 65, and then the 46 to uh, 64, and then uh, why do we have uh, evolution is happening. As we look at history, it's obvious that at each new uh, stage of evolution, there's a there's great anxiety in, in the social system, and that is happening today in uh, throughout the world. There's great uh, fear because changes are happening so quickly. The, uh, the fear of drugs, for example. But even before that, the first time that machines came, 
there was that fear. Uh, the first time automobiles came, the farmer said, the cows won't give milk and the chickens won't lay eggs. And if the human being goes faster than 20 miles an hour, it'll be bad and we'll go crazy. And, uh, every new technology that expands uh, our mobility and changes um, the way we think and live, there's always this uh, superstitious fear. And we, uh, there is a fear right now. Now, of course, there's great fear of drugs. And there's uh, even a great fear of computers. And particularly among people from the uh, 60s and 70s generation, um, there's a fear of technology. And uh, many, many people in the 60s and 70s wanted to go back to a, uh, an earlier way of life. Uh, and that's good. Um, the wonderful thing about today, there's some really different uh, experiments that you can make with your life and your lifestyle. And the idea that uh, hundreds of thousands of European and American young people have gone to India hitchhiked around uh, you know, the Middle East and studied uh, yoga. Uh, I, I don't think that, that the next day of evolution is going to come from everybody going to India and becoming a, uh, wearing an orange robe. I think it's wonderful to, these are stages and uh, the, uh, the intelligent person who wants to ex experience and relive uh, different stages. When we were first taking LSD, for example, one period, we spent three or four months living in teepees. Now, teepees are a very aesthetic uh, place to live. And uh, you know, it goes up, your eyes are, go up, and you have furs, and you have fire. You see the moon, and at night, you, on that side of the teepee, you can see the forms reflected. It's a, it's a very aesthetic. And also, you get used, you, you activate, reactivate, uh, uh, earlier primitive uh, aspects of your brain. As we did that first night with an onga bunga and went around dancing with the candles, that's good. Because uh, uh, we have these, uh, these circuits of the brain and uh, I think the intelligent person uh, in the future will, will try to reactivate almost every day or every week. Uh, as I said, it's, uh, it's very good to float and suck. Know, for an hour a day or an hour a week, uh, but you don't want to do it all the time. The, the taboos about computers and about video games are extremely interesting. In America, I told you about the Rubik's Cube, but in America, there in many conservative uh, cities and villages, they, have, they pass laws against children playing video games. Uh, and. Uh, the other day in Hamburg, I was being interviewed by a 24-year-old, very sophisticated young German writer who was violently opposed to video games. He said, it's terrible. These young kids go to these places and they put their marks in. <clears throat> they just, they're like drugs. They get this watch, you know, they're in, this own, they're in their own mind. And he was saying the same things that his father was saying about marijuana 15 years ago. <laughs> 
and the changes in generations are happening so quickly that uh, the, uh, there's a movie. See, the thing about video games are very interesting. This is part of this brain-computer brain, intelligence. The concept in video games is hands-on. And uh, kids now, five, six, seven years old, are learning to their one button that goes this way and they fire and then this is for hyperspace and this is for select and this is for, uh, or in a lot of these uh, little games, uh, like they one uh, I've talked about many times, it's, a, it's called Las Vegas Gambling. You put that in the little uh, Atari um, home video thing. And then the six-year-old child, first thing is, uh, <coughs> enter, and then, um, how much money do you want? So I put 5,000 marks, and then, um, what game do you want to play? Blackjack, seven cards dead, five cards dead, five card draw, and the six-year-old child says blackjack, and um, there's a little, a little man in the video, and he's got a little mustache, and his eyes go, <laughs> And then a quick, quick cards come, and then uh, says bet, and then the child bets 50 marks, and then hit or stand, you know, and for a blackjack. And the game is programmed to be the best Las Vegas croupier gambler. There's a six-year-old kid who is actually matching wits, not with the machine. It's not you're using. You're talking through the machine to other people. So the computer. Is really but now the first generation of computers. It was a, a computer hack. You just go there. and You didn't care about food. You just give me a coke, and uh, you had bad complexion, and you didn't wash, and didn't go out with girls. You was just there because he's trying to talk to the machine. But now the second generation. Oh yes, <coughs> the universities. The universities in America, Patrick. You must not use computers for frivolous playing. Now <laughs> 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 yeah, the second generation, so our kids are coming along, they're not playing with the computer. They're using the computer to match wits with the most intelligent programmers uh, I said near San Francisco. So the computer now is like a telephone. But the concept of hands-on means that you, the child, or the human being is no longer a passive victim. Now we have it all victimized by movies and by television. You have a movie theater, you pay your money, you sit there, popcorn, and you're there, <laughs> and they're doing things to you. And they are controlling, they're programming, they really are programming the brain. Uh, the reason you and I smoke cigarettes is because we saw Gary Cooper. <laughs> and you got the you know, <laughs> 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 or video, TV, you know, you sit and you drink beer and you watch TV, uh, you're passive. But the video games, the concept of hands-on is, uh, now the first video game was Pong. It was just bump, 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 bump. That was like 1976. First time I started, why do people do that? And then the second generation, third generation. And within two years, they will have video games in which uh, it will be as complicated as uh, Goethe's uh, Faust or Shakespeare or Star Wars. Right now, they have Star Wars. You can be Darth Vader, you can be Han Solo, you can be uh, 
uh, only you know one Kenobi or uh, you play these uh, so these children are learning how to be active they're not going to be passive because uh, uh, they're going to get bored because they get very bored with the video games that means that the people that make them have to make them uh, better and better and more and more complicated and then when they get the idea of putting in a disc putting in a game learning it pulling it out playing something the one thing you could do before with the television was change the dial. That's wonderful. And the little baby that changed the dial was seeing more, multiple reality, was seeing more than the great subs had in the past. But with video games, it's much more active. And um, it is a higher level of intelligence. Now, it is always possible. There's always the danger that the commissars, or the chancellors, or the presidents, or the heads of merchandising and marketing of the big corporations, or the military, will try to program it, uh, to, to program our brains. But, as I said, I think I, I don't know if I just said that today, I think I said that today. IBM and the KGB and CIA, they are programming, and they're getting instructions, they don't have the freedom. Throughout human history, Evolution has always depended upon the one single intelligent individual who had enough courage and confidence to be able to stand up to the system and say, no. Or intelligent enough to say, no. <laughs> or to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, in other words, intelligent single person has all the options to uh, your time go there and you yeah, oh, you know, you can do that or anything. Um said one writer can bring down an empire and the history of human evolution is a history of intelligent individual, women and men, who have uh, um, carried this uh, Tradition is the oldest tradition of the mystery schools, the Gnostic schools, the Sufi schools, the uh, yogi schools, the uh, Illuminati, the Templars. Throughout human history, there have always been those who have said that the purpose of human life is to find the intelligence within and uh, not the external reward. So the same thing is going to be true with computers and video games. But I feel that. Uh, it is necessary, if you want to continue to evolve, to get to learn and be comfortable with computers. You don't have to become, you know, an expert yogi in computers, uh, but you should know enough about how computers are programmed, because, like it or not, your brain's going to be programmed by someone who's programming computers. And, uh, you must know enough about it to be able to uh, at least be able to get the programs that you want. There's a movie that just came out in America called Tron. Uh, have you heard about it, Tron? Uh, this movie, see, video games are not the stage that the motion pictures are at when they have zoetropes and you put in a mark and uh, you know they flash the little pictures like this. Uh, they haven't even started uh, using computer video games. The first movie that did this is a movie by Walt Disney called Tron. And it's about a man 
It's about a man and a woman and another man. They're all programmers of video games. And this one man has made a video game that's very, very popular. But the computer company, and actually the computer cheated him out of his royalty, so he's very angry. And he wants to get in, break into the computer to get proof that he, uh, that he is his game. Uh, and as he learns more about the computer, the computer keeps blocking him off from access to certain parts of the computer. And then his two friends, the woman and the man, are also getting to know too much about the computer so that um, they are blocked off from their own games. Uh, and then suddenly they're told, well, the system's down, you can't you work on the computer today. But inside the computer, um, the people from, they're inside the computer, the people in the game, and they are put in a prison by these, with electronic, you know, it's an electronic prison, because that's exactly what preventing access to a circuit is, inside the computer. Anyway, this man gets, breaks through, and he's going to be able to get into the computer, so the computer, uh, there are these researchers where they use laser beams and they can, uh, Take an, an apple, and they can like that. The computer pulls him into to the to the video game land. So he's in there, and he's alive in there. <laughs> he's running around, but everyone else is in there are the creations of his own mind, or the creations of his of his two friends outside. It's getting complicated, but <laughs> and I didn't even understand typically about a day to figure it out. Actually, my seven-year-old son had explained it to me. Uh, but the point is that, that it's not really the video game that they're talking about. It's the brain, the, and that, uh, that the, the figures in our brains are created by the, our own programming, or by somebody else that's programmed our game, and our brain is like a series of enormous uh, uh, video games in which there's uh, Chancellor, uh, you know, uh, Schmidt, and there's Vic uh, uh, Jagger, and uh, they're all running around inside the video games in our head. So the concept of, uh, of uh, yeah, uh, the next kind of movie will be show, show people and they will go into their brains and oh see, the, the visualization of the computer video panoramas is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen because it's made just the way the brain is made and it's very much like those who have taken very, very heavy doses of, of a cellular drug where everything is, is made of light, and everything is made of lattice work, and you see, you see uh, everything is, is uh, glowing with, uh, with um, that energy. That's what the movies is like. So that, um, but that's the beginning. This is the first beginning. It's a whole new kind of movie making, which is going to change uh, our consciousness and raise our intelligence just as much as color uh, movies and television did over black and white and sound did over talkies over the uh, silent movies and so forth. Now, um, next I'd like to talk about, I've talked about body intelligence and uh, the key to body intelligence was uh, that you, you become an artist of your own life and I made the point that it takes a lot of work to do that. And then I've been talking about brain-computer intelli uh, intelligence in which you learn to use your brain the way you program a computer, which gives you a chance to reprogram or re-imprint 
And to uh, now, let me talk next about genetic intelligence, which uh, is a tremendous step ahead. I want to give you practical examples of uh, how genetic intelligence is operating right now. But before I do that, let's stop and see if there are any questions or any comments. Or anyone want to say anything? Is it clear? Uh, you said uh, the reprogramming of our own EO computer, the first steps to learn it is get in practice with a technical computer. Right? With a what? With a technical computer, yeah. video games and so on. Well, I didn't say that it was the first. I said I think that. Uh, Yes, I've learned a lot. If you really want to enjoy the next 20 years, <laughs> you've got to learn something about computer, really. Uh, or you might be, uh, you're going to be, uh, yeah, a lot of fun is going to be happening around you. Uh, you might as well enjoy it. Okay, but there might be much more techniques you talked about yesterday that you want to tell us today how to reprogram, is this is that? Yeah. Reprogram yeah. our video computer yeah. and uh, without Okay, video games is one possibility, but yesterday you told us you want to talk about more possibilities how to reprogram our video computer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, was and I think that, uh, what I will do for the next year is to go every day to a, to a hall where I can play video games, mm -hmm. and then I will write you how I have changed my personality in this year, when I do every day. Well, no, I'm, I don't want you to write it I'm having new impressions and what you said with the light and everything. Actually, yeah, uh, 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 well, we did, uh, we, we bought a game like Atari, and for the first uh, two weeks, uh, we played it a lot. We played it a lot for the first two weeks, yeah. Then after you get to know it, then yeah. it gets kind of boring, so I don't want you to go every day for eight hours. Go as long until you get it. You get it, yeah, and then you get it. Then I got, I have, I always go in a video uh, parlor, an arcade, in America, because I want to see, uh, and I'll spend it, and I'll sit there and I'll watch, and uh, you know, here's a seven-year-old kid, with uh, patterns and sequences and uh, pattern changes, and uh, so I, at least I want to see what's involved in the game, but I don't want to, uh, to spend a lot of time there, but I, yes, I, I uh, uh, I, I always go into a video parlor at least once a week just to see what the new games are. Uh, and uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I told you this, but many of you are new anyway, so I'll tell it again. You've heard it before. <laughs> the great mystery of Western civilization is uh, Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Pac-Man has made over a billion dollars, maybe close to two billion dollars. They have a song uh, called, a mid-break called Pac-Man Fever. You know, do they have in Germany? No. It's a tough uh, song about going down to the arcade with a bed board in my pocket, Pac-Man Fever. All the children, seven, eight, nine, and ten, sing this song. Do you know what Pac-Man is? You ever seen it? Oh, Pac-Man is a field of all these little white dots and there's a little round thing with a mouth and it goes and it eats all those dots and it's being chased by three others and then you have to go out and then and there's a big energizer circle 
and you wanted them, then the police who are chasing you turn blue, and you can turn, you can eat them up. But it only lasts for about 15 seconds, and then they turn, uh, now they, they look like guns, about obviously kills. And then, then I eat the kills. At the end of the game, is to eat all the kills before you get arrested three times by the narcotics officer. And, uh, uh, I, had to, I had to figure out why this game was so popular. <laughs> also, there are, in Los Angeles, there's the big paper, the LA Times, which is very establishment, and they had an article one Sunday by a psychiatrist who says that Pac-Man has to do with oral, infantile, gratification of sucking and all that, you know, and there's another paper uh, which is more uh, alternate, and that had instructions is not like Pac-Man. <laughs> and seven, seven, eight-year-old kids, whenever they're coming out of that paper, they're all reading how to play Pac-Man. Um, so, uh, no, I don't want to make a big deal of it, but I, I just tune in, tune in so you, uh, you know, and uh, I feel <coughs> um, it's part of being in the 20th century now to know. See, people, they mainly, anything that's new, they don't like, so they think some more must be terrible, must be bad, or I think the intelligent person wants to know what, what it is, well, why do they like Pac-Man, or why do they like uh, these games? Because uh, are there any other? But do you think that uh, daydreaming is a very good um, way to get um, into contact with your brain possibilities? Visualization and uh, well, it's a daydreaming, yeah. as we call it. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, you can help. You can get some help to to get in the state of yes. daydreaming. But uh, uh, the well, daydreaming. Uh, um, I would, sounds too fast. Maybe planned, directed visualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because daydreaming is that, but uh, I think it's possible to. Uh, there are many schools now, <coughs> yeah. which they train people how to visualize and use daydreaming and use their imagination yeah. in a very precise way. And they're even curing cancer. Uh, yeah. There are many schools in the United States that are, they probably have it here too, where uh, they visualize cancer in ways of. Uh, um, but the, the body can fight against it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, talking about LSD, which state of the ecstatic care time, um, which is the best time for for uh, reprinting or re, re uh, what you say that the, the, the brain could be um, reinforced or what was the word? Reprinted. What what state of the ecstatic? Um, Movement, aesthetic curve during LSD, during LSD session. Oh, what is the the, the the optimal time for it? Is it at the, the beginning or at the end? Um, yes, yeah, so that's a very interesting question. It's a question about um, during an LSD experience, everything is moving very fast and in many different directions. And um, if your consciousness gets caught, or if you focus your consciousness on anything that happens, it kind of stops it. And then uh, the, all the manuals and the devices 
don't get caught, keep going, keep going. Um, because um, um, you might look in your wife's face and you look in her eye and suddenly her eye getting bigger and bigger until she's nothing except the whole world is her big eyes. You know, well, that's, that's not the girl you married, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing you have to, all right, close your eyes and you're like that. But then some people get frightened and then, uh, and then, uh, just wanted to take wives off during <laughs> 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 Or, um, there may be both early experienced people who start thinking about their heart. Many doctors, this would happen to them, and uh, they say, my heart is healthy. Thump. And then you wait a million years. Thump, oh my God. Anyway, call the doctor, call the doctor right away. And then we say, well, of course your heart's stopping. <laughs> it stops most of the time. <laughs> then it starts. And that's what our heart's supposed to do. <laughs> your heart's not supposed to move all the time. <laughs> we're dying, we're dying. Okay, we'll die. <laughs> so, in a bad trip, a bad trip is when the imprint takes place soon. And then, uh, like one time, uh, we're having an LSD experience with a uh, very nervous young man from New York and uh, he's worried, 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 worried. It's coming in 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and I take LSD myself. I said, no shit, what? <laughs> the bomb, the bomb, it's done. I said, you're okay. No, no. Hey. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> But in general, the imprint takes place towards the end of the, uh, and uh, is very powerful. For example, the last three times my wife and I took LSD, it cost several thousand dollars. <laughs> because the first time, my wife looked around the house and said, we cannot live in this house anymore. <laughs> That was at 3 in the morning. <laughs> at 9, she was out there still hallucinating in the car, real estate, and by noon, she was still hallucinating that we had a new house, and it cost $5,000. <laughs> and then we took the LSD in the new house, and we were out in the garden, and um, the, um, she looked around, and she said, well, we've got to get a garden to come and uh, plant all these differently. And then the... Uh, Time when my dog had to flee, that was another one. It cost us five hundred dollars to get the dog flee. <laughs> but things like uh, if you want to give up smoking, for example, then uh, if you smoke during LSD session, that's definitely going to um, increase your imprint. If you want to give up smoking, and the, uh, the easy place to do it is during LSD session, have no cigarettes around, and then uh, um, try to not smoke. You can do it that way. Same thing is true of. Uh, you should. If you think you could get the imprint, but you won't smoke after the session. Mm. Yeah, 
Uh, yes, it will, it, will, it will make it a hundred times easier for you to give us money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, music, for example. Any music that you listen to during an LSD experience. Uh, well, number one, you, you read a lot into it, sometimes more than there. Like, uh, there are millions of people that thought the Beatles were playing just for them, you know. All you need is love. John, you know, poor John Lennon got the phone calls, and millions of people say, John, thanks for me. Because it is true that uh, it's your brain, and it is for you. John did write it for you, and John doesn't know that. But, um, so that imprint of uh, music is. Uh, Usually the imprints uh, occur towards the last, uh, after five, three or four or five hours of an LSD experience. And it's extremely important after an LSD experience that the next day be uh, protected from uh, any kind of uh, pressure or tension. Um, so that um, you should not... Uh, get involved in freeway traffic <laughs> in a smoggy city uh, the next day because you're so sensitive. Uh, uh, although, you can program yourself so that you can do anything. You can go right through the freeway traffic and uh, drive any miles an hour across the if you want to. Uh, in general, uh, it's better to uh, plan the hours of the day after an LSD experience so that uh, you're surrounded by the environment that you want to make part of your reality. Because you literally are creating your reality. Well, I'd like to go on to the gene uh, genetic... Uh, um, I started saying today, uh, I didn't have enough time to finish, that science in the last, every branch of science in the last 10 or 15 years has, uh, has been a breakthrough, a very interesting breakthrough. But the breakthrough is giving more uh, power and responsibility to the human being. For example, the second law of thermodynamics, I have always thought was wrong. The second law of thermodynamics is uh, entropy. And it says that the world is just quiet, quietly uh, getting into zero uh, temperature and that uh, all systems become, um, different systems collapse into pretty soon, everything is the same. It's the clockwork uh, theory of the universe there, all the clocks are going to run down, and pretty soon the whole universe is going to be... Uh, <coughs> now that's a Protestant capitalist ethic thing of, uh, you know, God is a banker, and uh, you're going to spend all your money sooner or later. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a man called Ilya Prigogine, you know about Prigogine? Does anyone know about him? Anyone know the Nobel Prize uh, in like 68 or 69? And um, he's demonstrated both mathematically and experimentally that, um, that um, yes, it is true that all systems collapse. That's obvious. Even Mount Everest is going to eventually you know, collapse. But as systems collapse, um, it's called theory of dissipative uh, chaos or di dissipative structure, energy is released which allows a reformation at a higher level so that evolution is possible. Be, uh, evolution always involves a uh, 
dissipation in a convulsive changing and then a restructuring at a higher level. And the higher the level of uh, complexity, the more fragile it is. So uh, he uh, basically, evolution and intelligence can uh, prevent uh, entropy from happening. And intelligence is anti-entropy. And so uh, we've, that, that was the great death uh, uh, promise of uh, physics and thermodynamics. Uh, we have repealed the law of gravity. Uh, we have, we have re reached escape velocity. In order to leave the planet, this thing is four and a half billion years. It's a, a, a gravity uh, atmosphere swamp four, six, eight thousand miles high. In order to uh, get out of this swamp, we're literally chained to the planet Earth by gravity. Uh, and it has taken an incredible amount of intelligence on the part of large numbers of people to get the escape velocity so that we're, we've sent the first human beings off the planet. And uh, every 10 years now, there'll be an increase of 100-fold. More and more and more people are going to be leaving the planet. Uh, um, that seems so obvious. I know there are some people that don't believe that uh, human beings are going to continue uh, to uh, leave the planet, but uh, uh, there are many, many scientists in America and in Europe who, uh, who have written convincing books that uh, in the tradition of evolution, as we said yesterday, is from the uh, unicellular to the shoreline, four foot, two foot, the wheel, rockets, uh, higher and faster with more intelligence. Because the higher and faster you go, the more intelligent you have to be in order communication. So it seems inevitable to most of us that we're, we're going to be leaving the planet. So we repeal the law of gravity, and we no longer have to think of ourselves as slugs crawling around uh, on somebody else's planet. Uh, planets are terrible places. <laughs> they're terrible places. They're traps. They're swamps. Uh, and, uh, oh, planets are like, uh, are like, uh, like planets are like Peter Ball restaurants. Or when you stop on the highway and you go up and you can get the food and fuel and gas and you want to go up. But uh, the basic, um, <laughs> most human beings in the future are not going to live just pulling themselves along, fighting. 75% of my energy goes in losing gravity. Uh, and, uh, that's simply a waste. Uh, so uh, we've revealed a lot of gravity. And, uh, uh, the, uh, I've talked about uh, the helplessness of personality and intelligence. We talked about it yesterday, too. Now I realize that you can increase your intelligence, you can expand your intelligence, you can re-imprint your reality, you don't have to be stuck with any point of view. Uh, there's no reason why anyone should uh, live a life or inhabit a reality that uh, is not of your voluntary choice. Uh, but the real breakthroughs in the uh, present time are coming in the field of genetics. And, uh, we have deciphered the DNA code, Watson and Crick and Marshall. The woman never got any credit for it, by the way. Those two men grabbed all the credit. So we are understanding how evolution works. We understand that one single cell is you. You evolve your mother's womb over nine months to become a little infant and then 
was all pre-programmed that you would have this kind of air and that, uh, and also now there are new, there are new aspects. Genetics is exploding in all different directions. First they thought that only blue eyes uh, were, were inherited and, you know, and then, uh, or uh, color and all that, but now they've realized in the last uh, 10 or 15 years called behavioral genetics and sociobiology that behavior is inherited. How? Because you not only got your mother's beautiful blue eyes from her side of the family, but you also inherited the kind of brain models that have been going on. So that you, uh, you, inherit, you inherit different types of brains. Um, so when you walk down the street of your city, you meet 100 people, there are probably 100 different brain models. And there's some Maseratis, and there's some tanks. <laughs> 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 Some garbage trucks, and, uh, <laughs> because to keep uh, a, a large species like ours going, the division of labor, it simply does require many different kinds of nervous systems, uh, and it's a good thing. Uh, now, the, ter the very term genetics in America is so politically hot that uh, Edward Wilson, who was the man who uh, first developed sociobiology, was attacked by some angry left-wing women at a conference because he said that most women are biologically different from men. And uh, that was considered to be uh, chauvinist. <laughs> because of World War II, because of uh, the Nazi uh, emphasis on genetics, liberals and socialists have gone the other way and said there's no difference. All human beings are born equal. and uh, Simply because of the class and the education, and if everyone is uh, um, educated the same way, everyone will come out to be the same. You cannot run a beehive, or you cannot run a termite colony, or you cannot run an advanced, complicated human civilization if everyone is the same. You simply have to have. Now, lions are all the same. Elephants are pretty much all the same, except for boys and girls. <laughs> I don't know if there are any gay elephants, probably there are. It's <laughs> okay with me. <laughs> Do your thing. I'll be in this tremendous division of labor. This, by the way, is only temporary. Uh, because as we live a long time, as we have understanding <coughs> and control of DNA, it's possible actually to change. See, uh, there have been sex changes. Isn't that wonderful? You know, in the last 20 years, we've seen sex changes. You know, you know like being a boy, you can have an operation to become a girl. That's, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, uh, so that in the future, we will be able to make um, um, biological body changes. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And uh, at that point, the second tape in this series came to an end, uh, with the exception of a little conversation about taking a break. And there's still one more tape left in this series, and I'll try to get that out as soon as I can. Then my uh, plan is to play either part of the uh, recent Esalen workshop or another one of the Terrence McKenna in Maui series, which is uh, still waiting for me at the post office. I've got to get down there today and pick that up. 
But as I said in the beginning, we now also have, in addition, uh, over 150 other McKenna recordings that are stacked up here in the salon. And uh, so I might want to play the Maui recordings first and then the Esalen workshop to uh, give us a little break from getting too much of the Bard McKenna all at one time. Uh, and also in the queue, there are several other recent talks that have either been given uh, in recent months or that are going to be given in the weeks ahead by some of our fellow tribe members who are still on the lecture circuit. And I know that the McKenna fans, like me, can never get enough of the guy, but there are also some of our fellow Sloners who think that I've already played too many of his talks, so I'll try to uh, reach some kind of a balance to keep us all happy. But getting back to the talk that we just heard... First of all, I have to say that I found it somewhat synchronistic to hear Dr. Leary talking about the Pac-Man game, which was all the rage back when he gave this talk that we just heard. Because uh, just a week ago, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I just finished reading Ernest Cline's wonderful novel, Ready Player One, in which that very game plays a role itself. And uh, so I checked out the App Store and found a free Pac-Man app to download, only to discover that, uh, <laughs> well, I'm still not very good at it. But the main thing that I want to point out about the talk that we just listened to right now was uh, Leary's comment about each generation since World War II actually being a different species. Now, back in 1983 or so, that was uh, probably quite a radical statement. However, just this morning I listened to a TED Talk by Juan Enriquez that is titled, Will Our Kids Be a Different Species? And in it, he points out the fact that at times the human race consisted of several different species, all coexisting here on our beautiful little planet at the same time. And there really isn't time right now for me to get into all that, but if you go to the program notes for this podcast, which you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us, you'll find that I embedded that TED Talk on the page, and you can listen to it for yourself. It's uh, a very fascinating talk, and I think it would be more than worth your time to watch it. Well, I'm going to get out of here for now and get back to my massive digitizing project, but I'll get the next Timothy Leary talk out as uh, soon as I can. So, uh, for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>